0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Scotty, beat me up. Fascinating. Stand by to receive our transmission. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the fourth show in the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast series. I'm your host, Rick Dostey, and this week we'll be discussing the original series Star Trek episode, Amok Time. And for our collectible, we're going to look at an original series tricorder that actually I put together from a kit from a website run by Gene Roddenberry's son, Eugene Roddenberry, also known as Rod Roddenberry. And I will provide some notes on my website for how to get to that webpage and look at the variety of Star Trek kits and equipment that they sell there. This has uh, been a pretty busy week for myself. I've been trying to uh, readjust my sort of computer... Uh, work area here, and I'm still using the same microphone for the past couple of shows, but I've rearranged where things are sitting and trying to make things a little bit work smoother for this podcast. So if there are uh, any differences in the quality of the audio or maybe a few more pauses this week, that's why. First, uh, I want to talk a a bit about uh, a new logo. I have a, a brand new logo from my friend len at the webpage dot uh, radio.com and i'll put that in the show notes also but he's a podcaster uh, sort of a web cartoonist and i asked him to create a logo for the for my show for trucks in sci-fi i gave him a few basic ideas i wanted mr spock in the logo i thought it would be kind of neat if he uh was listening to an iPod, listening to my show on an iPod in his big Vulcan pointy ears. So you'll see uh, if you've downloaded this web, this show from iTunes or if you're playing it in, in that interface. I'm not sure if other interfaces show the artwork along with the podcast when you play it. I know if you use like something like Winamp, it wouldn't show up. But there, the pod logo is going to be posted in the show notes and on my webpage probably in a couple of places. And, again, it's, it's linked and embedded in the, the file, the MP3 for the show. So if you're using this through iTunes, you should see a, uh, a cool new logo with Mr. Spock giving the Vulcan hand salute, holding an iPod, listening to the in sci-fi show. So I just want to say uh, a big thank you to, to Len at Jawbone Radio for that work that he did on that. It, it came out just great. I, I, I really like it. I think he did a, uh, an outstanding job, and I really appreciate it. Hi, this is Len from Job on Radio, and whenever I need the latest Star Trek or sci-fi news, I listen to my friend Rick on the Treks and Sci-Fi Podcast. Hey, do you think he's going to be talking about Wookiees? Because I love Wookiees. Thanks, Len. I also want to welcome anyone new listening to the show. Uh, this is mainly a Star Trek sci-fi show, obviously, along with some collectible information and review. And I, I'm also going to talk, usually at the beginning of the show, about anything new going on in sci-fi uh, or Star Trek news, and give people a little little tidbits. There are other podcasts out there that go through those things, so I'm not going to go into great depth into other sci-fi areas, but just some things that I've been noticing and what's been going on and what I like, what I don't like, out in the world of science fiction, Star Trek, uh, and so on. I've gotten a few emails this week and a few comments from other people about the podcast and. People seem to be enjoying it. Uh, they're enjoying the the fact that I'm going through some of the kind of older, old school, original series Star Trek episodes and talking about those. Maybe talking about some things people weren't aware of about those those shows. You know, I I grew up watching those reruns, uh, probably more than I I, I should have. This was back, you know, before they had videotape and DVDs that you could just pop in. And I would uh, diligently. They were usually being played you know probably once per day uh, on a local channel uh, in the area where I live so I was watching them constantly had the dialogue memorized still do but uh, those episodes still kind of hold a special place in my heart and they're my favorites by far of, of any of the series so that's that's why I've started with those but for other people I am I'm a big fan of the other Star Trek series, and I'm also going to be going into episodes about Next Generation, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, and Enterprise eventually. At this rate, so let's see, if there's about 700-plus Star Trek episodes and I only look at one per per podcast, I, I think I've got a lot of material ahead of me. <laughs> I, I've been toying with the idea of eventually going to multiple shows, talk about a couple of episodes maybe in the podcast or a couple of collectibles... I think a couple of collectibles in a podcast would, would probably work. I don't know at this time. I don't think I'm going to be doing multiple Star Trek episodes. I want to really take a good look at a lot of the original series shows, at least for the for the foreseeable future, and then maybe go off and do some maybe multiple episode podcasts where I maybe just bang out three or four of them that are kind of highlights or things that I liked and what I liked about them. Just a couple of few other... Uh, housekeeping kind of things to go into here i'm now listed on everything i guess i think podcast uh, pickle also i think i did that one but podcast alley definitely i got up on that site about a week ago so if you feel like voting for me on podcast alley just search for the treks in sci-fi podcast on podcast alley and cast your vote for me it's october fairly early in the month still so i'd appreciate any votes that you could send my way That'd be great, and you know, while you're there, just vote for any of the other podcasts, some of the ones I've discussed, like Extra Life and Jawbone Radio. Both of those are excellent shows, a lot of fun, and definitely vote for those while you're at the uh, Podcast Alley site if you're a fan and listen to those shows as well. As normal and still, uh, my my email for the show is treksf at gmail.com. I'm also on Skype, although I'm not I don't have Skype running a lot of times when I'm on my computer. I usually just have it on when I'm using it for something. So generally, if I'm, if you see me on Skype, it's usually because I'm playing World of Warcraft, which I'm a fan of, or, or some other game online, and I'm using it as a chat interface to talk to other people while I'm playing. Or I'm participating maybe in another podcast and so forth. But the handle is the same on the Skype network. It's still TrekSF on Skype and uh, you know, just say hi to me if you see me on there that's that's no problem i would be happy to talk to you i was um talking or sent a uh comment an email to Scott Johnson at the amazingly funny and wonderful my extra life podcast and website, telling him that uh you know I'm not normally kind of as as calm and collected and and steady i guess or or however you put it, my voice and the way I speak for these podcasts. It's just not my natural state, and I'm trying to get to a happy medium where I, I can joke around a little bit more and kind of just loosen things up on the show a bit. So this week I'm trying to head that way a little bit, trying to be a little more like myself. I guess you stick a microphone in front of somebody, and, and, and sometimes they get a little nervous. It's not really nervous, I guess. It's just a little uh, different. It's it's not natural. Uh, I don't have somebody here that I'm looking at while I'm talking, so it's a little it's a little odd, but... Enough about all that. I want to get into the the first uh, topic for this week's show, the first main topic, which is the original series Star Trek episode, "Amok Time." Let's begin. Captain's log, Stardate thirty-three seventy-two point seven. First officer Spock seems to be under stress. If I want anything from you, I'll ask for it. If you don't get him to Vulcan within a week, eight days at the outside, he'll die. I await you. Who is she? My wife. She chooses the challenge We will choose thy champion This one This combat is to the dead Okay, that was the... uh preview that was shown, you know, after the previous episode, before this episode was shown originally on television, actually that preview is, is a little odd because Amok Time was also the first episode shown in the second season of the original Star Trek series, the first episode of the 60, that would be 67 to 68, 1967 to 1968 season. Probably the vast majority, I'm assuming, again, 99% of the people listening to this show know this episode, but just to give you a brief rundown, this is the episode uh, that Spock goes through the Ponfar Vulcan seven-year itch ritual or, or problem, I, I don't know what you could want to call it, but uh, basically Spock is in heat. He needs to get to Vulcan. It's something that all Vulcans go through after, once they become an adult that basically every seven years they go through a a cycle, kind of they, they bring up the points of, you know, what is it, The certain fish, I think, that go through cycles where they return salmon to the, the same stream to spawn in, whales do this, migrations. Lots of creatures on Earth do this kind of thing at periodic times. I don't know any ones that go seven years, but uh, anyway, amok time, the logical Mr. Spock basically wants to get a girl. So he needs to get to Vulcan. And this episode centers around how he's losing his normal collective calm and control of logic and reason and becoming basically a lot more emotional than anybody else in the Enterprise. He, he's he's wigging out at at everyone. He can't perform his duties. He's shaking. He's, he's just basically lost it. So I, the wonderful thing about this show, you know, obviously... Mr. Spock, the character of Mr. Spock, and Leonard Nimoy's performance is just superb. He really brings a lot. I mean, you, you, it, it really shows that he's trying to very much stay in control, and he's normally a logical type person. And even in real life, the times I've heard Leonard Nimoy speak, you know, there's a lot of Mr. Spock and Leonard Nimoy and a lot of Leonard Nimoy and Mr. Spock. So that comes through in this episode to some degree, and I think he used that. But again, let's just get back to a quick synopsis of this show. It um, centers around Mr. Spock, which was a wonderful idea because NBC had gotten a lot of fan, fan mail during the first season of, of Star Trek. Basically, a lot of people really, really liking the character of Mr. Spock, which was surprising to everyone. and, and Well, maybe not exactly surprising, but all uh, a little bit odd because they were all very afraid of this alien Mr. Spock character on the Bridge of the Enterprise on their Star Trek series. He looked a little odd, he had pointed ears, and people were afraid, but he turned out to be actually as popular or probably one of the most popular characters on the show, you know, right up there with Captain Kirk, maybe even more so in some cases. So th- this came as a little surprise, and they wanted to do a backstory on Mr. Spock, his his planet, his heritage, and this was a wonderful idea for a opening episode for the second season. You know, the, the rest of the story follows... Kirk taking Spock to Vulcan and what happens there. I'm going to play a few other audio clips to bring you uh, to sort of remind people or, or maybe people that haven't seen this show in a while what, what took place. The next one I want to play is where Mr. Spock explains what he is going through to Captain Kirk, uh, kind of embarrassed and, and something he doesn't really like to, to speak about in general, but but listen to this. There's no need to be uh, embarrassed about it, Mr. Spock. It happens to the birds and the bees. The birds and the bees are not Vulcans, Captain, if they were, if any creature as proudly logical as us were to have their logic ripped from them, as this time does to us, how do Vulcans choose their mates, haven't you wondered? I guess the rest of us assume that it's done quite logically. No, it is not. That's a great little exchange there between Kirk and Spock. Uh, It shows, you know, probably... Spock could not have spoken like that with anyone else on the crew not even Dr. McCoy at the time. You know, Captain Kirk was was his friend and he felt he could confide in him and but it was really you could tell in the scene it was really difficult for him to say what he needed to say to him. But Kirk kind of pushed him and got what he needed and and wanted to help him at that point. That led to Kirk uh, in true Kirk fashion not really happening too much in the early uh season or the first season a couple of times but in Kirk fashion, going to, talking to Starfleet and deciding to, the, the Enterprise was basically in this episode supposed to go to sort of a uh, a peace conference, one of three starships where they were supposed to be there and kind of put on a good show and all that. But here's Kirk's exchange after he gets told by Starfleet that, nope, nope, you can't go to Vulcan. You can't take whatever, whatever's going on Vulcan. He doesn't, Kirk doesn't explain it to Starfleet. He just says, I, I need to go to Vulcan and I need to go now. But here's Kirk's, uh, exchange after he hears from Starfleet that says no Kirk no you got to go where we're telling you to go and this is what Kirk says to uh, Dr. McCoy
1: I know the Altair
0: situation we would be one of three starships very impressive very diplomatic but it's simply not that vital you can't go off to Vulcan I guess Starfleet orders you'll be busted I can't let Spock die can I bones and he will if we go to Altair I owe my life a dozen times over isn't that worth a career He's my friend. Bridge, navigation. Bridge, navigation. Mr. Chekhov. lay in a course for Vulcan. Tell Engineering I want Warp 8 or better. Push her for all she'll take. It's one of uh, one of my favorite things about Star Trek in that, that little scene and Star Trek in general and Kirk and the original crew was that these people, and it was true in later Star Trek series as well, but... They, they really believe in Starfleet and follow orders, but they're not just robots. They, they care about each other. They're willing to do what it takes. And this is especially, you know, almost the entire first, oh, probably the first whole five, four or five Star Trek films that they did. It all really revolved around this type of thing about each of them, you know, the, the, the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the one or the needs of the one outweighing the needs of the many, which they play with that line a lot in, especially Star Trek Two, II, Three, and Four, in those films. And I don't want to really get off on too long of a tangent here, but I just think it's important to to see that the roots of all of that and how much these people care about each other and the crew of the Enterprise goes way back to the original episodes. It, w- it was put in there, and, and these people didn't just work together. they They really did care about each other. And I think some of the best television you know includes that kind of thing you know again another tangent which i tend to do so i'm going to let it go but is the series firefly and the new movie serenity i talked about this in last week's show but this movie and that tv series is sort of a modernized in a way star trek at least for me the this is a small crew in the enterprise yeah they had 400 people aboard but you really only saw seven or eight of them and and the ship's different but the the essence still, the, what, what makes both these things great and wonderful for me to watch is that these people care about each other. They're willing to sacrifice anything for the other people. They're willing to go the extra mile, all that kind of thing. It's just in, in, in the year 2005 and with everything that goes on in the world, it's nice to see people. And, you know, even in my small way, I, I try to be that kind of person in a way. But the... The thing that's great is is, is just to, to, for that kind of hope, that that kind of thing to see that in the future, and that man really is, I think at least ultimately good deep down. You know, there are some bad ones out there, and things happen. But you know, I'm getting way, way, way deeper than I wanted to. But uh, ultimately, it, it just really it's an uplifting kind of thing, and I think what that what makes Star Trek great is what makes Firefly and Serenity great those kind of emotional things it isn't just a a, a cardboard cutout situation Here's this is the situation this is what happens these people go from point a to point b nothing really changes nothing affects them these people get affected by what's going on and it does change them and things things happen that affect them and that the story is both plot driven but character driven as well and that went a lot deeper than i really meant to at this stage of the podcast but hey you know it's my show. So the next uh, the next little clip I wanted to play is we're now on Vulcan and and you know the the Enterprise does go there and there is a an exchange with with Kirk Spock McCoy go down to the planet uh, Spock tells them he's allowed to bring you know representatives some friends with him and and actually McCoy's a little surprised in this episode that he wants him to go too but they beam down to Vulcan and they meet up with this sort of big group of dignitaries and other Vulcans and Kirk and McCoy, especially find out just how important really Spock and his family is to, to the planet of Vulcan. There are some real high dignitaries here. One of them is to uh, a high Vulcan official and dignitary that is basically here to preside over this, this ceremony, which is more or less where, where, where Spock is to, um, he has this betrothed from back when he was like seven years old uh, of um Tapring, sorry, the name escaped me there for a second. And Tapau is to preside over this whole ceremony. Now, the one little tidbit, my first little tidbit for the show is the character of Tapau was going to be picked up and used for the Enterprise TV series. You know the Enterprise TV series for those that aren't exactly completely up, but it was set 100 years before the original Star Trek Kirk Spock time era. So 100 years before that, Vulcans lived quite a long time, a couple hundred years. So the they were going to use, instead of the character of T'Pol that ended up serving with Archer on the Enterprise, the idea originally was to have that character, T'Pol, be T'Pol. Hopefully everyone's still with me here, but they were trying to tie in the Enterprise TV series with the original Star Trek series. Hey, we need a Vulcan. We can make her fairly young. This is hundred years before the time of Kirk and Spock, so hey, let's use T'Pau. And it probably at some point in, in near the, you know, before Enterprise started filming, it, it never took off that way. I mean, they knew they wanted a young woman Vulcan on the Enterprise, and they ended up naming her T'Pau. They they decided, well, there's no, there's no real need to put this whole backstory that she's T'Pau. Why are we doing that? It's it's a it's just a name. You don't really learn a whole lot about T'Pau in the episode of Muck Time, except that she's this fairly important Vulcan official. And so they, they decided on Enterprise to not, not bother with that. So that's just one little tidbit there. The, um, but back to, back to Vulcan. They're on Vulcan. The story progresses to the point where Kirk and Spock have to fight each other. Supreme gets it in her head that it's she needs to choose a champion, somebody to sort of uh compete with Spock for her. And instead of choosing this other Vulcan named Stan, she chooses Kirk. And there's a whole logical exchange near the end of the episode of why she does that, and it makes perfect sense really, and it, it it's a good exchange. I'm not going to play that part, but I want to play is some more of the wonderful composer Gerald Fried's music who did some of the music in the in another episode that I reviewed before or discussed. Shoreleaf. I I think he's just one of the best composers that they had for the original Star Trek series and here's some of the music when Kirk and Spock have to fight each other and the interesting thing about this music is it was used and has been used in a lot of you know shows in in just even recent times uh one of the one funny show that I like family guy there is a scene in one episode where uh the little boy Stewie they get rich and they have a couple of servants, and he wants the servants to fight to the death. And they start playing the same music during this episode. And I think The Simpsons has done it too. Uh, that was used in A Muck Time. Anyway, here's here's a bit of that music. <laughs> Dun, 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 dun. I just, I just think that's that's great music. I really enjoy it, and it, it's the one of the drawbacks I've always thought of, or I don't know if it's a drawback. It's it's more of a um, observation. Let's just say. But the further the the later Star Trek series, Next Generation, and I think it's a sign of the times, Deep Space Nine, and so on. One of the things that I've always enjoyed about the original Star Trek series is the music. I felt that there were a lot of times that they didn't really need a lot of dialogue. The music almost told the story, and you can hear that in this and in Shore Leave. There's just a lot of times where where the music and what the people are doing at the time it is sufficient. They don't they don't need a lot more. And and I think there've been a few exceptions to that in some of the later Star Trek series. Some of the episodes they use the music the music was a lot stronger, I should say. But I think that's just a sign of the type of shows you know in the 60s versus the you know the 90s the 80s the you know the year 2000s now the music in episodes Star Trek uh, not just Star Trek but other television shows especially not so much in the movies I think movies still use music to a strong degree a lot of times but mm-hmm. the the television shows these days really the music is is very very subtle it's a lot more subtle than it used to be but that's just another you know little observation I I have to make and I, I've always I've always enjoyed music both in movies television shows I have quite a few soundtracks not just Star Trek but you know a lot of sound soundtracks excuse me from a lot of different TV shows and movies just because I it always brings out a, a mood and it always makes me think about not just those particular TV shows and movies but the emotions that went with those situations uh, one soundtrack I really always liked from the movies is is Conan the, Barbarian, Conan the Barbarian with Arnold and that music is just so powerful it's just a great great bunch of music to listen to um oh when you're doing anything raking the yard cleaning the house it's 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 really powerful I think the composer of that's um his music or the music for that movie is Basil Polydoris. And how I got to Basil Polydorus, I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right, as a composer of Conan soundtrack music from the episode of Muck Time, I don't know. That's how my mind works sometimes. But um, now, anyway, back to the episode of Muck Time and, and Mr. Spock. So Kirk and Spock are fighting to the death, and lo and behold, it looks to everyone that Kirk has been killed. Spock's choked him with the little, you know, you know, sort of sadistic little rope thing that they hand them. And I believe uh, it's called an Anwoon, I think is what they call it. They have that other little half-blade thing that they fight with for a while. I think that's called a Lerpa. It's, um, but anyway, Kirk's dead to all appearances. McCoy goes over there and, and you know, says, I think, for one of the first times, he's dead. So this looks pretty shocking, and things don't look so good, so... You notice, though, that McCoy quickly gets uh, Kirk out of there, beams him up to the Enterprise, and so you, you're kind of wondering, hmm, that's probably not true. The uh, the next thing I want to play here, though, is is a little exchange that I've always... It, it, it's something that I always, always think about. You know, you go out to the store, you see something you really like, you buy it, maybe. Uh, or not just things that you, you maybe see and want to buy, but... Um, I think if I just play the audio clip, you'll understand what I'm talking about. I'm going to play an audio clip that that Kirk, uh, or sorry, not Kirk, Spock, Spock, Spock says to uh, Stan, the the one that T'Pring really wants. Uh, the one thing I've always wondered, getting off onto a tangent again, I'm, I'm full of tangents today, but the one thing I've always wondered about the whole seven-year Vulcan cycle thing is that wouldn't you have to have... Wouldn't they all have to, you know? Let's say that you like this girl, or whatever you like, the little Vulcan girl. You like your uh, pointy ears, or whatever. But wouldn't you guys have to be going? Wouldn't they have to be going through the seven-year thing at the same time for it to kind of work out? I don't know. Just, just kind of a little thought. But anyway, the the audio clip I'm going to play now is a exchange between Mister Spock and Stan, the the guy that really uh, wants to Pring and to Pring wants her, I guess, or whatever. So listen to this. After a time, you may find that having is not so pleasing a thing, after all, as wanting. It is not logical, but it is often true. That's just a great, great line. That, that bit of dialogue there, I just, I just love, you know. Having is is not so pleasing a thing, after a while, as wanting. I, I think that's true for, for a lot of people. I don't know about you, but... Uh, you know occasionally i'll see something and go boy that would be cool to have or whatever and you buy it and, and or maybe something that you've wanted for a long long time i think i think it's the not so much the impulse buys but it's the things you've wanted for a long long time and when you finally get them it's it's not it's not really is all you had thought it would be uh, you, you kind of build it up in your mind a little bit to some degree and then when when it finally is yours you realize you know sort of desiring something is maybe more uh appealing and more interesting than actually having it. You know, you you have something after a while it sort of sits there. You don't you don't even think about it anymore and then you move on to the next thing. I don't know, that's just maybe human nature. Uh maybe uh American nature or I don't know, materialistic, but um but I don't know. I just it's one of the one of the lines that Mr. Spock has said over, you know, in in you know, he said a lot of things obviously in in various Star Trek episodes and movies, but that one little line is something that always is in the back of my head, you know, I, you know, when I think about buying something or whatever. So moving along now, now we go back to we're on the ship. It looks like Kirk's dead. Spock's going to get, you know, thrown in the brig or whatever, and things look pretty bad. But, of course, you know, Dr. McCoy has something. He, you know, he slipped Kirk a little shot of something during the fight. Kirk gets knocked out. He appears to be dead, but no, of course, He's Captain Kirk. He can't be dead. Come on, Bones, Jim. Um, Bones, Jim. Bones, Spock. Um, So now we see Mr. Spock, the calm, cool, emotional Mr. Spock. You know, he's all through the pond far. And he mentions that once he kills or appears to kill Captain Kirk, the blood fever has gone, you know, out the window. So I'm going to play now Spock's reaction to seeing his friend Captain Kirk not being dead. Don't you think you better check with me first? Captain. <laughs> Jim! I'm pleased to see you, Captain. You seem uninjured? I am at something of a loss to understand it, however. Blame McCoy. That was no triox compound he shot me with. He slipped in a neuroparalyzer. Knocked me out simulated death indeed again a great thing um leonard nimoy does just a great job with that not too over the top you know you you, you fully understand by the end of this episode that the vulcans they're not really that different than humans they have emotions it's not like those, that little part of their their brain and their 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 system is gone they just choose to keep them way way under control they, they don't act upon things, you know, they don't get a little upset and flip people off on the road when they're driving their little Vulcan cars down Vulcan streets. But uh, it's just they're, they're, they keep themselves way under control. But when something happens that's big enough, you can see Spock slips here and, and really gets excited to see Kirk is not dead. And he even smiles. You can see him smile a little bit in the, in the episode. And I think this is one of the first times, if not the first time, that he actually calls Captain Kirk by his first name. He calls him Jim. So that's another little tidbit for you. So amuck Time, great episode. Uh, one of one of in probably the top ten, for me at least, Star Trek, uh, original series Star Trek episodes. Love it. I'm going to go through a couple other little side things now on the show. This show was also written by Theodore Sturgeon, who wrote another episode that I really, really enjoyed and talked about before Shore Leave. So there's a kind of interesting coincidence and this episode was was a real, you know, nice thing for him to be able to write because you it, it really opened the whole Vulcan thing out. And there are things in this episode that were done for the first time and continued through any other Vulcan that you saw in the future, through all the other Star Trek series, movies, uh, so on. They they started. Here's here's one good example. The the Vulcan hand salute, you know, where you, you spread the, you know, the two fingers, I don't know which, you spread two fingers of your four fingers apart, you spread down the middle. Everyone, you guys know what that looks like, right? The Vulcan hand salute. It's even on my logo now, Spock's doing that. But splitting your fingers down the middle and holding your hand up to a person that you're greeting, you know, basically saying, you know, almost like, how Pale Fist. Um, that little greeting there, the first time that showed up was in this episode, in a Muck time. Spock greets to Pow um, when she when she first appears there on Vulcan when they come down with that greeting and and live long and prosper that phrase also appears in this episode for the first time you know these classic classic Star Trek things many of them also showing up you know you see that Vulcan is this hot planet it's 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 sort of volcanic all that kind of thing it, again first time you've ever seen that. The little tidbit, and I think this is—I'll get this story correct. Leonard Nimoy has always said basically that the Vulcan hand salute, splitting the fingers like that, he learned. He he he's Jewish. Leonard Nimoy is Jewish in real life, and when he would go to—I'm not Jewish, so I don't know what you call it, um, whatever—weekend prayer. It's not—it's not a mass. Maybe it's a mass. Whatever, Jewish. I, I hope I'm not offending anyone out there, but when they go to church. When, when the Jewish people go to church, the, the rabbis would, would sort of— at one point, Leonard Nimoy always told this story that he would bless the congregation, and you were all supposed to sort of bow down your heads in supplication and, and, and humility or whatever. You know? No one's supposed to really see what the, you know, these, these rabbis are doing. But Leonard Nimoy al- always said that when he was a little kid and he, he went to, to the synagogue— I think I'm using the right terminology— shows how up I am on Jewish religion, um, he he took a look at what these rabbis were doing. And they had both their hands and, and had their hands split with their fingers, you know, two on each side, and were using their hands and kind of waving them around over the crowd to bless them. And for for some reason, that image stuck with him. And when it got time, and when he was doing the Star Trek series in the future, and they needed some way to greet. And originally it was supposed to be that he was going to greet to Paul like, you know humans do he was gonna like shake her hand or you know whatever they were gonna give each other a hug or something like that but uh that's not the way it went you know Leonard Nimoy came up with this idea and says hey how about if I put my hand like this and you know everyone said hey yeah sure that's a good idea do that that's that's great and that Vulcan hand salute of course continued on through many Star Trek series so but um a muck time, wonderful episode. If you haven't seen it in a while, go check it out. You know, rent it, buy it, uh, whatever. But uh, it's it's really a wonderful Star Trek episode. One of my favorites. Now How are you doing tonight? What is Jawbone? Welcome to Jawbone. Uh, this is going to be kind of a laid back show. Sometimes you just open up the mic, you don't really know what to say. I got a couple of things I can throw your way. I always prepare. I try to be prepared. The BBC calls Jawbone the podcast Jerry Seinfeld would have made had he settled down in Cleveland with five children. I smell like kielbasa. Or like a ham sandwich. Hey, what's up with the foreigners? Witty, funny, hilarious, says the guy reading this promo. Down with Adam Chicken Curry. Where is it a Sasquatch or is it more of a skunk eat? I down <laughs> 911? I to down 911. Hang on, let me hang on. It's like eavesdropping on your neighbor, says Lynn and Nora's neighbor. Because we weren't talking about racy topics. Oh, that's right. Like all married people do. I just can't even talk to a married person who isn't talking about something racy. From the streets of Cleveland comes Jawbone Radio with Lynn and Nora. (gasps) Listen in at JawboneRadio.com and find out what is Jawbone anyway. Yeah, it's kicking, it's rocking, it's, uh, you know, stick it in your ear and listen to it. Oh, I almost forgot before we get into the collectible review time, the couple little tidbits, uh, kind of not really uh, tidbit, that might not be the right word, but news type stuff. Uh, One, Star Trek thing, the two-disc episode uh, or two-disc set of Star Trek Nemesis, the last Star Trek uh, movie that was out uh, back in fall, I think December of 2002 is when it was originally released. A two-disc set of that with with about three hours of extra features on it just came out last week, I believe it was, and I picked it up. There's a lot of really, really good stuff on there. If that's an episode or episode, a movie that you enjoy, I highly recommend that you go take take a look at that. I think it's only $15 in the store. Well worth it. The other thing that's out now uh, or has been out for a little while are the the box sets of the uh, Enterprise television series, which which I enjoyed quite a bit. They're now up to the third season, of that has been released, so that's available. There are some extra features and extra things on those those box sets as well. They're a little expensive. They're in some neat little packaging, especially the the third season set, which just came out uh, about two weeks ago, I believe, has a quite a bit of back features and things in it. the The whole third season revolves around a you know the Zindi situation and war. If you're familiar with that at all, but the third season is very interesting, and the fourth season was good, too. So those are a couple things to look for in the stores. Okay, for our collectible this week, I am going to talk about the Roddenberry.com. I don't know if that's the website. Sorry about that, but let me check real quick. Yes, it's uh, Roddenberry.com. And then you click on the store link there, and you can get to their prop and replica section. The collectible for the week is the, the tricorder kit that they offer on their website. It is a tricorder from the original series, obviously. I've said that a couple times, I think. This uh, kit, it's in kit form. You can buy the kit, and you can also buy from their website a electronics package that you can add to this kit. You can have it have flashing little lights where the jewels are and the flip up hood, and along with sounds and other effects. Now, I got this kit about two years ago, and probably I think I spent about a week off and on working on it to build it. It comes, basically it's molded in black to begin with. It has uh, metal parts for the, the silver areas on the, the tricorder, you know, the tricorder was was used throughout the original Star Trek series by Mr. Spock primarily and a few other people. Dr. McCoy had a similar unit and some other landing party members at times. And they, the tricorder was basically their, their PDA. I mean, this is what this tricorder thing could do at all for them. It could read, uh, you know, whether an atmosphere was okay on an alien planet. It could see if there were enemies nearby. Uh, it could take sensor readings from the Guardian of Forever and play those back later. It, it it did basically whatever they needed to do. It wasn't a weapon, and it wasn't a communication device, but the tricorder could do everything else. But this kit from Roddenberry.com is just really, really well done. They did an awesome job on it. It's I'd say if you're you know fairly mechanically inclined, um, put together a few model kits on your own. The instructions are really well done, and there's very little... Um, extra work that needs to be done with this kit when you put it together you have to do some sanding and some cleaning up some of the areas before you attach things but there are screws and you do some gluing also on the kit but it's it's pretty straightforward there's nothing real complex now if you want to get into more detail and add electronics to it it becomes a little bit more involved then you need a little bit of a knack and you need to, to be good with wiring a little. And, you know, it's just all low-voltage battery stuff with, with LED lights and that kind of thing. But it's, it's just, it takes a little more to do that kind of stuff. A, a small soldering iron is needed to do the, the electronics work. But as a basic kit, if you just want a nice, a nice prop replica of a tricorder from the original series, you can just buy the kit and put it together pretty easily and, and have a really nice piece. It's not cheap. I think the, on their site right now, it's listed for, the kits are still there. It's about $270 for the kit. Now, for people that aren't into prop replicas, that may sound like a lot of money if you don't really, you're not into accurate uh, props from TV and movies. But if you are, that, that's a really good price. Master Replicas, about six months ago, I think when they first came out, Also has released a tricorder from the original series and I'm going to talk about that actually in in next week's show. What they did and how they they did the piece and what they little changes and subtle things they did for their their tricorder, but that's a real nice piece as well, but I'm gonna speak about that next week. But the tricorder here that's from Roddenberry.com, again, it's in pieces, not very difficult to put together. I'd say, you know, like again, the average person who's got a little ability, mechanical ability can do it. It, um, it's very nice. It looks, it looks just dead on like the kind of tricorder that Spock would use on the Star Trek series. It comes with a strap that you can put on it, and it's, it's, it's great. I just, I really like this stuff, and if you're into that kind of thing, models and replicas, this is a really, really nice piece to have. Along with the communicators, which I've discussed before, and and I'll, it'll be discussing phaser replicas in the near future. They, uh... This would be one of the main pieces to have if you're a very big Star Trek fan and collector. It's one of the three main prop-type pieces that they used on the original Star Trek series all the time. You know, their budget was pretty small then. They didn't have room to have new little toys and gadgets and electronic light-up stuff every week, you know, like some other shows later have had. But the original series had to get by with the basic phaser tricorder communicator for most of their shows. So this, this is a uh, a wonderful piece to have. Nice nice to put together. And, the, you know, the nice thing to put when you do these things and you build the kits, I mean, I like to buy this stuff, too, because it's a little easier. Obviously, when you get it, it's it's all done. And, uh, and you know, in opposed, in our in opposition to what Spock said earlier, uh, having is not so pleasing a thing as wanting. Uh, I like having this stuff. I mean, it's, it's nice. People uh, get a kick out of it when they see it in my house, and it, it's... Uh, it's always good for a conversation, and you. I'm always amazed at how many people know what this stuff is. You know, not even people that are real big Star Trek fans. I mean, they'll come over and they'll see this little thing sitting on my shelf and say, "Wow, where did you get that tricorder? Or, Wow, where'd you get that communicator from Star Trek? Or where's that man? That's cool." So, and these are people that you know they they're not they're not Trekkies. They're not big Star Trek fans. They just they've seen some of the shows. You know, everyone knows who Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are, and they. They know what a communicator or a phaser is. You know those kind of terms have been used so much now in in modern speech all the time that everyone knows about it. So it's it used to be a long time ago. Those kind of things would would kind of make people a little bit say, "Oh, that's real nice." Okay, I am going to be leaving now, but not not anymore. So, but again, this this is a nice piece. They did a great job with it. It's it's very accurate. Looks just like the original. It has. All the, the detail, like I said, on it that uh, Spock's piece of equipment. Actually, you know, the, the thing about these replicas that they're making, both the kits and the ones you can buy, these things are a lot better than they ever even really had or used on on the Star Trek series. The stuff on the Star Trek series a lot of time was some of them were, were made to to be able to be dropped. They're They're stunt props. They have different types and different levels of props. Just to give you some of the terminology, you know, there, there's something called a hero prop out there. And that would be like a phaser or, or a lightsaber in the Star Wars movies that is going to be used in when they're just holding it and it's seen pretty close up on camera. Whether it's hanging from somebody's belt or they're holding it in their hand, it's going to be seen long enough on camera and close enough on camera that it needs to look good. And that's what's known as a hero prop. The They also make a lot of things out of foam, rubber, cardboard that are called stunt props. That'll be like, for a tricorder, it would just be a little black box. They'd put it together, and it would look sort of like a tricorder, enough so that at a distance, if they were wrestling around on the ground or some alien thing jumped on Spock's back and he had to fall down, they wouldn't be breaking one of the very few nice hero tricorders that they would have. Excuse me. And... So they would have various levels, is what I'm saying, of, of, of props for the show to use. But even at the various levels, they did not have a lot of these things at all. And even the hero props, that the, the cream of the crop on the shows, don't come anywhere really near, for the most part, the level of quality, craftsmanship, and appearance in things that these replicas that you can build and buy now do. These things are made to look sort of like an idealized version of these pieces of equipment so you know just kind of letting you know that you really get uh, a really nice piece here to to put in your collection if if you enjoy that so star trek tricorder roddenberry.com i'll put a link up in the in the show notes if you want to go take a look at it they have uh, a huge number of things on roddenberry.com that you can buy scripts and patches and buttons and t-shirts and props Lots of props, and, and I'll be talking about some of those other ones in, in future weeks. Hey, everyone. This is Scott Johnson from the Extra Life Radio Show. You're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi with my friend Rico. Thanks, Scott and Adrena. Well, okay, I think that's uh, going to about wrap it up for this week's Treks and Sci-Fi podcast. Podcast number four. Uh, I don't think I said it at the beginning. I keep meaning to do this. I'll get this down one of these days, but today is Sunday, October 9th. Actually, it's my brother's birthday. Happy birthday, Joe. And just wanted to say that to, uh, to him out there. The other thing I want to mention here is next week's show. I'm, I think I already talked a little bit about it, but... For the Star Trek episode, I'm going to look at another original Star Trek episode, star, original series Star Trek episode. The episode I'm going to look at is called Errand of Mercy, where the Enterprise crew meets up with the Klingons for the first time. And the prop replica I'm going to be talking about next week is the Master Replicas version of the original series Tricorder, which has got some subtle differences, some things... Um, that are a little unique about it versus the Roddenberry.com version. So again, until next week, thanks everyone for listening. Please tell your friends. Vote for me on Podcast Alley if you can. Uh, This is Rick Dostey signing off for this week's episode of Treks in Sci-Fi. Bye, everyone. This has been a Rick Dostey production.